0: Hi, welcome to the Pool Guy podcast show. In this episode, I'm going to interview Wayne Ivisich from Taylor Technologies. We're going to go over um, high cyanuric acid and how it affects your pool. We're also going to touch on adjusted alkalinity and the LSI index and bring all of that together full circle for you in this podcast. This is one in a series of three podcasts I recorded with Wayne. Leslie's Pool Supplies is a proud partner of the Pool Guy podcast show Leslie's Pool Supplies has been do-it-yourselfers and pool trade professional's trusted partners since 1963, providing quality products and services to make pool care easy, and solutions and expertise to do it right. And I think you're going to find this podcast episode very helpful if you do pool service and you're dealing with pools with high cyanuric acid, or if you're a homeowner and you tested your pool and it has high cyanuric acid. So we'll go over a lot of those details here in this podcast. And then if you want to listen to the other two podcasts in this series, in the second podcast I'm going to talk to Wayne about free chlorine levels and also uh, phosphates and we're going to touch on nitrates and go over the K2000 series test kits that are NSF certified now and in the last podcast Wayne is going to answer some questions that were submitted to me by members of my group. All three of these podcasts are a great resource for you on pool water chemistry and I highly recommend listening to all three of them. So let's jump right into the first episode here of the three-part series. So I'm joined by Wayne Ibusich from Taylor Technologies. How you doing, Wayne?
1: Really great. How about you guys?
0: Doing good over here. Uh-huh. So you want to tell the listeners what you do over at Taylor? Sure.
1: Um, I am the manager for education and technical services here at Taylor Technologies. We're located over in Sparks, Maryland. That's about, oh, about 30-ish miles straight north of downtown Baltimore. Uh, I've been with Taylor since 1991. Uh, started out here at Taylor in uh, sales for, for many, many, many years, almost uh, a little over two decades, and then back in 2014 was asked to create a department that's just focusing on education and dealing with all the technical emails and, and calls that we get at every day here at Taylor. And that's what I've been doing pretty much uh, nonstop <laughs> since, since like the latter part of 2014. Um, I go around the country. Uh, I teach a lot of seminars at a lot of trade shows. I also uh, present webinars uh, weekly uh, here uh, from Taylor Technologies on a variety of of different subjects. I've been doing that for a number of years, too. I'm a CPO. Uh, I'm also an instructor for the CPO course, and I'm a member of the PHTA Education Committee. That's the group of us evil people who wrote the exams and the manuals and all the courses uh, for, for PHTA, formerly NSPF and APSP, and been doing that since around 2003. So I've um, got a lot on my plate over here. Plus, of course, yeah. there's always other little things I do, but that's primarily what, what I do here.
0: Okay, and, and I'll probably get the webinar information from you at the end for the pass okay. on to the listeners. Um, mm-hmm. I I know I've called Taylor myself a couple times, and they passed me through to you, which is pretty Unique for a company that you can okay. talk to someone of your caliber just on the phone by calling tech support. So yeah, yeah, you talk to a real human being. <laughs> yeah, it's a great company. I call it Taylor. I, people refer to it as Taylor. No one uses Taylor Technologies, I think, but yeah. except for Taylor Tech work too. There. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, a lot Taylor of people would call it Taylor Tech. Yeah.
0: You've been but, around so long that Taylor, you say Taylor, Taylor Test Kit. They know what you're talking about. So. Right. <laughs> um, so I thought we would spend time talking about the more more uh, pressing or complicated chemistry issues that people face. Mm-hmm. And right. the one thing that um, we'll start with is um, the pools at very high CYA. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking mm-hmm. over 150, 200. I know it's probably right. difficult to peg it sometimes. So mm-hmm. those pools, in my opinion, are harder to maintain. Mm-hmm. And what's your take on pools with high CYA? Yeah, and, and,
1: that, and that is a problem, particularly with pools that have a very short season, like where we are here in the Mid-Atlantic area. Our pool season is, is roughly Memorial Day to Labor Day, give or take a couple of weeks on either side. So if you have a pool that starts the beginning of the pool season on a stabilized form of chlorine, like a, a dichlor or trichlor tablet, or you're using cyanuric acid in addition to some other type of chlorine, the, the numbers just simply go up and up and up. They, they don't go away. Um, for example, for every pound of dichlor tablets that you use, which is roughly two, three inch t- uh, t- um, bucks, uh, per 10,000 gallons, you're adding anywhere from six to seven parts per million of cyanuric acid. And with trichloropux, it's just a flat seven. So, you know, it doesn't seem like a whole lot, but when you talk about, you know, loading up an erosion feeder and then doing that constantly overseas, and you're going up and up and up and up, it never goes down. Currently, uh, the, the, the recommendation industry wide is not to let your cyanuric acid get much above 50 parts per million. 30 to 50 is the ideal range. And, and, and that seems to be that, that sweet number, because anything over 50 parts per million uh, is shown not to be very effective. In fact, it kind of flatlines as far as doing anything. It's there, it doesn't do much. There's no additional protection or anything like that. And the closer you get to triple digits, 100, 200, God forbid, higher than that, you can experience something that's called chlorine lock. Doesn't mean you always do, but the likelihood is very high that you will. And what chlorine lock is, is that instead of cyanuric acid working with the chlorine to keep it in the water longer, so it does the job it's supposed to do, it actually prevents chlorine from getting out to do that job. And it's it's one of those situations where you might have uh, algae growing all over the place, but yet you have a measurable chlorine reading that's that would be correct, like three, four, five parts per million, and you're scratching your head going, what on earth is going on? Well, let's check the cyanuric acid level. And the likelihood of that being very high is, is, is a, it's a fact. And that's what's causing that, that whole situation. It used to be when I started with Taylor that the prevailing thought was the closer you were to the equator, the more cyanuric acid you can maintain in the pool. So that, for example, if we were in Key West or something like that, um, uh, down in Florida, of course, it's closer to the equator. And so you can keep higher levels of cyanuric acid. And the more north you get, the lesser amount. Well, that was proven to be wrong by the CDC who presented a study in 2006 that showed that above 50 parts per million, it flatlines out. And when you get really high, triple digits or so, then there could be other issues going on that that prevent proper sanitation and oxidation. So mm-hmm. is it a myth? No, it's not a myth. Is it a truth? It's not a flat out, you know, bang hammer on the nail kind of truth. But it, the likelihood is that, yeah, it does exist and it's happened and I've seen it happen.
0: Okay. And I've noticed with these pools, people say that chlor- there's some algae-resistant um, yellow algae in it. But mm-hmm. I find that the pools at the high cyanuric acid levels, the algae seems to be harder to take care of in those pools or get get rid of, in other words. And it seems yeah. to form algae even at, with a chlorine level of, you know, five parts per a million there, which I think is odd. But mm-hmm. it's due to the, the chlorine not being effective, right?
1: That is correct. Yeah, you can have you know, but terribly high levels of chlorine that you think are doing the job. But if your cyanuric acid level is high to begin with, uh, no matter how much chlorine you have in that water, it's it's not going to do anything.
0: Mm-hmm. And then testing the, for the cyanuric acid, mm-hmm. anything over 100 parts per million, most test kits don't test anything above that. And so you have to do a dilution test.
1: How That's accurate
0: correct. does it get as you're diluting it, you know, well, well you,
1: you, yeah, you, you've got two, to like, not great situations going on. First of all, you're doing a dilution, and dilutions are, are fine for the most part. Sometimes colors are, when you're doing a dilution on a test that involves color, that sometimes it's tough to see. But here for cyanuric acid testing, you're using a methodology called turbidimetric, so cloudiness. And with, with in this case, it, it's not so much that it's difficult. It's just that you have to do that extra step. And doing a one-to-one dilution will allow you to, to, re, to get those higher readings. Uh, the, the kicker, though, with the cyanuric acid test, and, and I constantly talk about this in, in my seminars and webinars, is that you know, people are inherently impatient. And that includes pull techs and hmm. homeowners who might be doing this testing. And, and the, the test, for example, specifically says, uh, you know, pour, pour in or squirt in the, the solution until the black dot just disappears. Well, in my mind, the word disappears means I can't see it anymore, not, oh, it just about goes away or, oh, I can barely see it in there. No, no, I don't want to see it anymore. So because of that, you're going to get various answers on cyanuric acid levels from the same sample from two people standing next to each other. You know, you're never going to agree on a number. It's always going to be different from everybody else. But I'm a purist. No, I don't want to see that little black dot disappear. So that, that, that's the kicker for testing. Whether you're doing it you know, with a straight sample or a dilution to reach higher levels than that, uh, you still have to wait for that little black dot to disappear. That, that's the kicker here.
0: Mm-hmm. And yeah. the solution that they use, I'll just throw this in there, for testing cyanuric acid, mm-hmm. um, that has a short, shorter sh- shelf life than a lot of reagents, right?
1: Actually, no, David. Um, In in the most common test kit that we have, the K2005 Mm -hmm. Complete Kit, the only reagent that really has a sensitive shelf life would be DPD number two, reagent number two in, in Taylor's case. And that's pretty much true for any manufacturer of any testing products where there's a reagent, a liquid reagent in a brown solid bottle that designates it as an oxidizer. And it's an oxidizer that has, the, uh, I won't call it short, it's more sensitive to air, heat, and light than the other reagents, uh, so that it, it, when, when we put expiration dates or best by or use by dates on our reagents, uh, normally it's two years, but all, all of the, the oxidizers, the natural oxidizers, usually have about a year and a half. Only opening them and adding drops or, and whatnot, exposing it to the air, heat, and light again, and it's gonna react quicker. And and go bad. And the the way that you know that it's gone bad is that it goes pink. Uh, Normally, it should be clear coming out of the bottle. But as far as the number 13 reagent is concerned, that's a clear solution that's pretty hardy, pretty healthy. Um, The the only time you might have problems with it is if you're uh, testing samples of water that are less than 50 degrees Fahrenheit. Uh, we found that the the, the number 13, the, some of the products in there kind of clumped together, and it looks like little icebergs, little chunks <laughs> floating in the bottom, and it doesn't work very well. And that's really true also, David, for for and I know I digress a little bit, but it's true for any testing. Um, you should try to keep your, the sample temperature between 50 and 90 degrees Fahrenheit as best as you can. Um, anything 50, I kind of told you what happens, but anything greater than 90, you're essentially cooking some of the reagents. Uh, particularly the indicator solution. So if you're doing spa water, for example, which is, you know, max of 104 uh, Fahrenheit, you should really collect a sample and let it cool down for a minute or two before you do your testing or else you could, you know, experience these weird, odd colors. And again, you're going, what on earth is happening here? And it's because it's too hot. It's cooking.
0: (laughs) Okay. So what I was getting at, so basically the test is accurate. It's just mainly user error with that dot. So the region is not a factor in it. Right. Right. Okay, Yeah. So that's that's good. Good. And then um, um, since we're talking about high cyanuric acid, there's Mm. there's a big push in the industry in some Mm. sectors for the adjusted alkalinity. Right. Uh, Now, are you uh, someone that believes in doing that every time at a pool or is it necessary to do adjusted alkalinity every time you Mm. test the water?
1: Yeah. Well, I do believe in it um, because it's true. (laughs) Number (laughs) one. And the, the, the issue is that you only need to make that adjustment. And we'll talk about what that is in a moment. But the only time you really need to make that adjustment if you know for a fact that the sample that you're testing alkalinity for already has cyanuric acid in it. Okay. If it doesn't have cyanuric acid in it, you don't need to do the adjustment. And and it it's it it totally unnecessary because you don't have any cyanuric acid number two to utilize for it. But if you're testing a sample of water that has cyanuric acid in it, because total alkalinity is, is comprised of a lot of little things. There's no such one thing as total alkalinity. You've got carbonates, bicarbonates, hydroxides, cyanurates, borates, a little bit of sulfate. You've got a whole bunch of stuff in there. And the problem is, is that if you're you're doing an alkalinity test that has stable that's using stabilized chlorine, there's cyanuric acid in there, you're going to get what we call a false high reading. And you need to adjust it so that you get what we call the carbonate alkalinity reading. And that's the number and the value you should use when you do water balance calculations or any kind of treatment to lower or increase it. And it's really easy to do, easy to make the adjustment. You just take simply a third of your measured uh, excuse me, a third of your measured cyanuric acid reading and subtract that from your measured total alkalinity reading. And then the resulting number is your carbonate alkalinity reading. So a real quick example would be and to make my math easier, say you you did a cyanuric acid test and it came out to be 90 parts per million. Mm-hmm. Well, third of 90 is 30, right? Yeah. You do your alkalinity reading, and it comes out to be 130 parts per million. Okay. Subtracting 30 from 130, you get 100 parts per million, and that's your carbonate alkalinity value, and that's what you use again for water balance and for treatment purposes. Huh. And mo- yeah, but most of the times it's, it's going to be, you know, numbers are still going to be okay. It's that when, when you're when your measured alkalinity reading is really low to begin with, and you make that adjustment, you could falsely think that you're good for alkalinity when you're really, really not. You're too low.
0: Got it. So if the cyanuric acid level is at 200 parts a million. That mm-hmm. could be a pretty, <clears throat> pretty big problem.
1: Pretty significant. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty significant. Yeah.
0: You know, when I first started in the industry, no one really talked about adjusted alkalinity. In fact, mm-hmm. I didn't really... Much about it until maybe the last few years. So, mm-hmm. um, what's the, the thought behind it? Why is it so prevalent now?
1: Well, one of the reasons was, and I agree with you, when I first started, nobody really ever talked about it. I, I first started reading about it and hearing about it, learning about it probably in the late 90s. And it, it was the result of, of a lot of service um, guys and gals out there doing all these tests and making these adjustments, but they're, it's, it's not on, on alkalinity, but it's not working. Or they, they falsely think that their alkalinity level is fine, but yet it's not. And then it's too low, and then you have all the resulting problems with alkalinity. So people were kind of, again, scratching their heads going, what's going on? Until finally, and, and I honestly don't know who, who kind of discovered it, but um, it, it, was, it was the realization that, hey, wait a minute, alkalinity has cyanurates in it. Guess what cyanuric acid is? You know, same name, just about duh so let, let's make that adjustment and why it's a third i'll be honest with you i don't know um that probably you know it's one of those uh, chemical um mythbuster questions things that will never be answered kind <laughs> of like who built the pyramid kind of thing yeah. but uh it, it a 30 is the magic number that that you okay. a, a third is is the magic number
0: yeah. yeah good to know good to know that um yeah so here's another thing i know this um a lot of people don't test for lsi uh-huh. I know that the Taylor kits come with the, the water gram wheel. And, there's, right. of course, apps that will help you calculate it. Yep. Mm-hmm. And why is the LSI so important? And can you explain the index?
1: Sure, sure. Uh, the the or the saturation index is, is essentially um, uh, taking five parameters that are measured in pool water or spa water, throwing them into a formula and then getting a number and then that number represents whether the the water is neither corrosive in nature or scale forming in nature it's it's perfectly balanced in other words it's not a problem and this is good for a lot of reasons primarily you know the actual pool or spa itself and of course equipment you don't want your equipment to corrode out you don't want you know you make money, of course, on, on, on replacements and repairs and stuff, but, you know, you want to make your customers happy and satisfied, too. So you, you want to make their, their water uh, th- to the point where it's not going to cause those kind of issues in either direction. So th- there actually was a guy by the name of Langlier who worked for uh, UCLA back in the 1930s, Wilfred Langlier. What did they first name, Wilford? And uh, he was approached by the then water department in, in Los Angeles. Uh, to help them figure out the, the acidic nature of the water that was coming down from the mountains around LA into the aquifers uh, for, for you know potable water and for industrial water and things like that. So he developed a formula that gave us that ability to evaluate the water as it came through. And it was actually, the, the formula was tweaked in the 1950s uh, for swimming pools because swimming pools and spas are what we call open water systems as opposed to piping, which is a closed water system, meaning the sunlight doesn't hit it. So the, the 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 value of it is is that you're taking these five parameters, which are the common things, pH, total alkalinity, and this is carbonate alkalinity now, you know your adjusted alkalinity, uh, calcium harness level, the temperature of the water, and something called TDS, which is total dissolved solids. And you're throwing it into a formula. And like you mentioned earlier, Taylor has what we call the water gram. It's a little round, circular, slide roll-looking thing. And it also makes a great mini Frisbee and a coaster, by the way, too, <laughs> if you've ever played around with it. Uh, but uh, there are also apps, uh, like like our SureTreat app has an LSI calculation. Most other apps of, of the same type have that ability to do that for you. So doing it is more important than than who's doing it or, or what's doing it, but the fact that you should do it. And and it, it's something that, honestly, a good uh, pool service tech should be doing now. I'm not saying every time they go out to the pool or the spa for for a customer, but at least once a month, uh, so that it, that that you get an idea of of how well how good the water is in that particular uh, pool or spa. Mm-hmm. Uh, is it terribly corrosive? Because we know all the problems associated with corrosive water or is it leaning towards being scale forming and which is cloudiness and scaling, and that could lead to lightability issues, particularly if uh, it's a commercial property. Um, so the LSI is important. Now, now the other thing too involved in this is that there are a whole bunch of indices out there uh, other than the Langley or saturation index. Um, mm-hmm. uh, the, uh, there's one, you, you might've heard, heard about this because it's out, you're, you're in your neck of the woods, the Hamilton index.
0: Yes, yeah, um, kind of popular yeah, here in California.
1: Exactly, because of uh, the the guy who created it, Jock Hamilton, really nice guy, real character in the industry. He, he passed away a number of years ago. Very very nice man. Uh, he he developed his own index that was very close to what the LSI, um, mm-hmm. the Langlier index does. He used some different values for things, but essentially it 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 served the same purpose. It helped define uh, whether the water's corrosive scale forming or or neither, you know, it's, it's in balance. Then there's something called the Reisner index. Uh, this is being looked at by a, a, a few people in the industry. It, it came from the industrial world and boiler, <clears throat> excuse me, in boilers and cooling towers. Then you have uh, the Pecorius index. You have the calcium saturation index. There's a whole bunch of them mm-hmm. out there, but, but it's clear that that the Langlier saturation index is the one that's used by a, a, a significant majority of, of us in the industry um, uh, uh, to help make sure that the water is good for the people to use.
0: Yeah. So, before I'm going to, we're going to probably do, I'm going to split this up into a few more podcasts here. So, okay. let's stop here on this one. And why don't you okay. um, give them your information to get contact with you at the webinars? And of course, you do okay. all the trade shows for the right. chemistry seminars. But go ahead and mm-hmm. throw out the webinar information for this podcast. Sure.
1: Sure. Um, I give a series of eight webinars um, every Tuesday from three o'clock to four o'clock East Coast time. Uh, And it's sponsored through a group called GoToWebinar, GoToWebinar.com. And if anybody's interested in it, the easiest way to do it is actually to email me. And then I can send them the links that they need to have and go and use in order to register for the individual webinars. And my email address is very easy. It's Wayne, W-A-Y-N-E, at taylortechnologies.com and that's no spaces or dashes or dots or anything and it's plural for technology. So wayne at taylortechnologies.com and you send me that email and then I'll send you back the link for for all the webinars and um, that's the easiest way to do it. And the good thing about it is the really cool thing is that there are four core webinars involved in those eight. And if you attend the four core webinars, you get this really pretty nice certificate of completion from taylor and for me signed by me signed by our our ceo and it's kind of neat you know, suitable for framing one of those kind of deals but it, but but it's really neat and 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 a lot of people like that are, like i said i've been doing it for for a long time and i probably have given out well over a thousand certificates wow. over the years uh yeah the people really do like those webinars because they're short they're mm-hmm. they're anywhere from 30 minutes to 40 minutes uh, I break it down in, in specific inform, um, uh, specific topics like sanitation, oxidation, testing techniques, water balance, hot water chemistry, things like that. So, um, yeah, I, I, getting the information to somebody who's interested, really easy. Just go ahead and pop me an email over at Taylor. I'm also, um, we have an 800 line that goes into the company. It's 1-800-837-8548, which spells out 1-800-TEST-KIT cute huh (laughs) and uh that goes right into our customer service department and you can ask to speak with wayne and and the the ladies over there will transfer whomever calls straight up to me and you'll you'll talk to me and not a robot
0: (laughs) yeah that's pretty amazing they can talk to you but thanks for your time on this one and we're going to continue um for tomorrow we'll we'll be talking about uh, the chlorine level okay And that'll be an interesting one and phosphates also so we'll touch on that and Okay. Um, before, before, um, well, we could touch on the test kits, too, on the next one, too. All right. So let's send this one here. So be sure to tune in for part two and part three. I'll have the links to both of those episodes in the description of this podcast. And if you're watching this episode on YouTube, in the description on YouTube, you'll see the links for the other two episodes in the series. I think you'll find the information in those two episodes equally interesting and informative. And if you're looking for more Um, resources for your pool care definitely check out my website swimmingprolearning.com I have a lot of helpful web pages there as well as an ebook available for $9.99 and if you do service for a living um, you can also check out my coaching program for $10 a month you can text me and for $20 a month you can call me plus there's a lot of other great benefits for being part of the group you can learn more about that at poolguycoaching.com thanks for listening to this podcast have a great rest of your week and god bless